0: So this morning, we're going to be working through our core value of deeply formed community. And when we talk about deeply formed community, the thing that we are discussing is what does it look like to love one another, right? Our mission is that we are seeking to be a people who share together in the life of Christ by loving God and loving our neighbor. And and the scriptures talk about not only our neighbors that are out there, but especially the household of the faith especially the family of God. What does it look like for us to cultivate a deeply formed community here at Redeemer Fellowship? Now there are places all over the New Testament that talk about the importance of community and our need for one another. There's that passage in Acts chapter 2 where we learn of the churches of the early churches' devotion to not only the gospel but to one another. We could have gone further into John 15, where Jesus commands his disciples to love one another as I have loved you. There are sections toward the end of Paul's letter to the church at Rome that are extremely helpful, but for some reason, I was drawn to Paul's letter to the Colossians. Truth be told, any one of those passages, and probably plenty of other ones, would have served our purposes this morning. The importance of deeply formed community, it shows up all over the Bible, especially in the New Testament, and especially in the letters that the Apostle Paul has written. That guy cared so deeply about the unity of the church, about the family of God, that he talks about it on almost every page of his letters. And community, though, it's it's also one of those things that everybody has an opinion on. And it's also one of the places where people experience the most hurt in the church. And I think that often has to do with unmet, unspoken, and even unreasonable expectations, dare I say. But it also has to do with sin. And that means sin committed by people in our congregation and sins committed by the leadership of our congregation. It's not a one-sided deal, right? That sort of stuff just eats away at the foundations of community. I'd love to say that church hurt will never happen here. I really would, I would love to be able to come up here and tell you that you will never experience that, but the reality is, is that when people come together, disagreements, division, and pain are inevitable. As we discussed last week, we're saints who speak with the accent of sinners. And so we're all bringing baggage, brokenness, and unreasonable expectations to the table. My prayer for us here at Redeemer is that we would be humble enough to recognize that we have baggage, brokenness, and even unreasonable expectations of our own. And that in so doing, we would become a people who recognize the grace that we needed for our own salvation, so much so that we would be the sort of people who extend that very same grace to others. I pray so much for this community of faith that we would be a people marked by grace because that's the only way this thing's going to work. That's the only way this thing is going to produce any sort of fruit. That doesn't mean that churches can't grow and, and produce all sorts of, you know, content or whatever if there isn't that sort of environment built into the structure of the church, but it doesn't mean that those are healthy even though they might look as such. And so I'm willing to give up all of the flash, all of the the building, all of the whatever it is, if it means that we can have a place where grace is the very thing that is saturating us, that humility is the very thing we're marked by. A deeply formed community is not this idyllic candy canes and unicorns sort of environment, where we all feel like we're in college living in the same dorm, but rather... It's a community shaped and marked by the cross where we love one another, forgive one another, confess sin to one another, and tangibly care for one another. And that sort of community only happens, it's only possible when we're living as those who seek the things that are above, who operate out of the reality that we have died and that our lives are hidden with Christ within God. It means putting off the old and putting on the new or as one commentator puts it living together in the realm of the new man the realm of the new man so in other words if we are a community centered on the gospel cultivating both individually and corporately our life with God then the overflow of that life will be a community that is deeply formed and shaped by Jesus and so if you have your Bibles Turn with me to Paul's letter to the Colossians, and we'll be looking at chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. And so some context, because as always, it's important to situate ourselves before jumping into the middle of a passage. If we zoom out a bit, the Apostle Paul is writing from prison to a church that was started by his friend Epaphras. What's important is that Paul was writing to a church which means that his words are intended to help correct and shape a community right these are letters to churches so he's trying to help shape and correct a community a community who loves Jesus but were being influenced by some false teaching they love Jesus but they were being influenced by some false teaching passage we're looking at is in the second half of the letter, which is typically where Paul applies all of the theology that he just laid out in the previous sections of the letter. And so similar to last week, our goal this morning is not to dissect every single nook and cranny of the passage, but rather to catch a vision for what Paul believes deeply formed community ought to look like. And so starting in verse 5, it says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Now, really quickly, right? There's a key word that Paul uses all the time, and it's that little tiny word, therefore. And what that little tiny word, therefore, does is it signals to the reader that what's coming up in the text, it's drawing on or resting upon what was previously discussed. And so, in other words, when Paul says, put to death what is earthly in you, that command is based on the reality just discussed in verses one through four. And it says this, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, because you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so we have been raised with Christ We have died and our life is hidden with Christ in God and that when Christ appears, then we will also appear with him in glory. What Paul is communicating to us is that the very thing we talked about when we were working through the mission of our church, that as followers of Jesus, we are united to him by faith, which means that we are now participating or sharing together in the life of Christ. We are no longer operating as citizens of this world. And so Paul is trying to say, as one translator puts it, put to death whatever it is in you that belongs to the earth. Whatever belongs to the earth. And so what does this all have to do with cultivating deeply formed community here at Redeemer Fellowship? Well, for the next verse, four verses, Paul's going to highlight sinful patterns that have no business in the life of Christians. Christians. But as we look at these sinful patterns, what we'll hopefully see is that not only do these things cause destruction in the lives of us as individuals, they also disrupt the relationships between neighbors, wreaking havoc on communities. And the reasons they wreak havoc on communities, and this is so important that we track with this, the reasons they wreak havoc on communities is because the sort of sins we'll be talking about briefly this morning, sexual sins and sins of speech. They objectify image bearers, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and they promote and exacerbate divisions that are based on worldly power structures that have no place in the body of Christ. Because the dividing walls of hostility have truly been torn down. So that's the premise we're working on or working from this morning. And so Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he goes on to list those earthly things. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And all of these things, they are sexual in nature. That's the point of this particular list of vices that Paul is outlining. Now, really quick, what we believe here at Redeemer Fellowship. We believe that sex is a gift from God and that it is reserved for the covenantal union of marriage between a man and a woman and that any sexual activity outside of that covenantal union is sin. That's what we believe. In fact, Paul says that on account of the wrath of God, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And so God does not look kindly on sexual sin. But I believe there is more going on here than simply a harsh word against sexual sin. See, Paul is warning people to put this behavior away. And part of the reason why I believe he is issuing such a harsh warning is because the nature of sexual sin is such that it eats away at the unity of the church. The nature of sexual sin is such that it eats away at the unity of the church because a church where sexual sin is left unchecked, it is a church where nobody is safe. Do you track that? It's a church where nobody is safe, especially the weakest of the community, namely women and children. And I'm not saying that women are weak. That's not the point I'm trying to make. But in the context of a man and a woman, physically speaking, that's just the reality. And so a community where a woman can't speak with a man without being eyed up and down, where a man is incapable of having a relationship with a woman because they're fearful of their own unchecked lusts, where marriages aren't safe because there are men and women operating out of passion instead of spirit-raw self-control, that's a community where nobody's safe. That's a community where nobody is safe. And so Paul tells us that these are sinful patterns that belong to the kingdoms of this world. And truth be told, many of us have been or maybe even are a part of communities like this. Maybe high school, maybe college, or maybe a job. But within the community of faith, a church where sexual sin is left unchecked is a church we're the brother-sister relationships that are so core to the gospel, right? The Bible tells us that we have been adopted into a family. We have been adopted into a family. That is a core truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That as we look around this room, we are surrounded not with opportunities to get mine, but brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the reality of the church. And so that is why I believe Paul is so harsh on sexual sin because it eats at that relationship. It destroys that relationship and it does so much violence to the gospel of King Jesus. That's so important that we understand that. God is not a cosmic killjoy. It's not that he looks out over creation and says, what are all the things that are fun? Boom. No, man, that's not what he does. No, he cares so deeply for us, and he cares so deeply about his name, right, hallowed be thy name, that he is unwilling to allow his church, the body of Christ, to be broken by this stuff. And so he comes out swinging when it comes to sexual sin because it destroys the community of faith. It destroys the family of God. I believe so deeply that that's what's going on there. I really do. And then he transitioned in in, in verses 8 to 9 to sins of speech. Check this out. He says, but now you must put them all away. And that's like a bridge verse, because he's kind of pointing back and forward. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self anger wrath malice slander obscene speech it's actually better translated as abusive speech which is really helpful in the context right and lying to one another a community or relationship marked by this sort of behavior it's a community or relationship that is utterly one-sided where whoever it is who falls into the category of weaker whether that's an individual or a group They live on the receiving end of abuse. Again, many of us have experienced these sorts of relationships, these types of communities. But when the church is the place where we experience it, that's when we have allowed what is earthly to gain a foothold. Because you see, the problem with sins of speech, aside from the fact that they're harsh and they cause pain and they're just plain mean, is that they invite the power dynamics of the kingdoms of this world into the house of God. They invite the power dynamics of the world into the house of God. And they eat away at the unity of the family where dividing walls of hostility are supposed to be torn down. Paul is having none of that. Paul is having none of that. He speaks strongly against it. Look at what it says in in the second half of verse 9 through verse 11. It says, Do you not lie to one another? um, Where am I? Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is neither Jew, Greek nor Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This is, this is really key to understanding the argument of Paul's passage here. So notice the put off and put on language that's peppered throughout the passage. The old self or the old man is a reference to the age of Adam, the kingdoms of this world that were ravaged by sin, death, and Satan, whereas the new self, it's this reference to what we've been calling our union with Christ or our sharing in the life of Christ. And those who have entrusted themselves to Jesus, we don't live and operate from that old age anymore. Now notice what it says in verse 11 here right that first word it says here or in this place in the greek it's a small little word that is used as a marker of position or space it would be like saying here in new jersey we fold our pizza or here in other parts of the country we eat pizza like lunatics with a fork and a knife or holding it flat if that's you i don't know what to tell you i will pray for you the point is that Paul is referring to a specific place. And in that specific place, in the realm of the new man, right? in the realm of the new man, here, in the body of Christ, there is neither Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Now a similar list shows up in Paul's letter to the Galatians that adds, there is neither male nor female. All that to say, The point that Paul wants to drive home is that the family of God is a place where its members ought to feel safe because worldly threats of lust, sexual deviance, power dynamics based on race, ethnicity, social standing, and gender, they have no place and they're dealt with. And the reason, the reason they have no place is because, what does it say in verse 11? Christ is all and in all. All that matters in the family of God is Jesus. And his death, burial, resurrection, and kingship permeate every fiber of our being. And that, that is the thing that is putting to death the patterns of this world. And that work begins in and through the body, the community of God. And so, what that means, if we're going to cultivate deeply formed community here at Redeemer Fellowship, then we need to put away all of that stuff. Because it has no place in the body of Christ. In fact, it wars against the very nature of who God is and what he is doing. It wars against it. And it's so important that we recognize That when we practice such things, both lists, right? Because some churches, they tend to lean on one list and neglect the other, or lean on another list and neglect the other. Both of those lists, both of those vices, sexual sin and sins of speech, they just invite the kingdoms of this world into our midst. And it eats away at us, and it destroys the foundation of who we are. Brothers and sisters who are in Christ where there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, barbarian, Scythian, whatever. That doesn't exist in the body of Christ. Cultivating a deeply formed community, it is about putting off or putting away those things, but it's also about putting something on. It's also about putting something on. Check out verses 12 through 14. The text says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive, and above all, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. N.T. Wright, when commenting on this passage, he asked the question, Suppose there were a town in which everybody behaved in the way described in verses 5 through 9. And suppose a few miles down the road there was a town where everybody behaved in the way described in verses 12 through 14. Which town would you rather live in? Which town, which place would you rather reside in? Now maybe that's a silly exercise. And maybe there are some who could even argue that there's a sense of freedom in the town where everybody does whatever they please. But deep down, Most people long for the safety and peace of the kingdom of God. In fact, those living in that first town are looking for that very thing. It's why that old quote that the man who rings the bell at the brothel unconsciously does so seeking God makes so much sense. Because ultimately, that's what we're all looking for. We're all looking for God. But there's that also that, that other you know old phrase, looking for, looking for love or looking for God in all the wrong places, right? Sinful pursuits, they wreak havoc on the family of God. So what does a deeply formed community look like and why should we pursue and cultivate it? Well, a deeply formed community, like I said earlier, is not some candy cane and unicorn ideal. It's not. In fact, it's a space where there is pain. And so it is a space that requires compassionate hearts and kindness. It's a space where we need to practice patience, which means that there are probably things about a deeply formed community that are going to try our patience. It's the sort of space where our expectations are not always met, and so we need to walk in humility and meekness. And it's a space where people are going to sin and hurt us. So we will have to bear with one another and forgive. The German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about that ideal, community. He says that innumerable times, a whole Christian community has broken down because it had sprung from a wish dream, right, an ideal. Why is that? Because we likely bring with us a very definite idea of what Christian life together should be, and we try to realize it. Did you hear what he just said? We, we try to, we bring with us a Christian ideal of what we think community should be, and we try to then realize it wherever we find ourselves. And so whatever image, whatever wish dream, as, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it, we have in our brain, we bring it to the table, and if it doesn't meet that expectation, we just point fingers and say, well, you guys are the worst, right? We do this, like this is just what we do by nature, right? Because we all have an ideal of what we think is right and wrong or better and best or whatever. But, but what Dietrich is getting at, and I'll read that full quote in just a second, what he's getting at is that actually that sort of posture, it actually does, does violence to the community of faith. He says this, By sheer grace, God will not permit us to live even for a brief period in a dream world. He does not abandon us to those rapturous experiences and lofty moods that come over us like a dream. Only that fellowship, which faces such disillusionment, with all its unhappy and ugly aspects, begins to be what it should be in God's sight, begins to grasp in faith the promise that is given to it. The sooner this shock of disillusionment comes to an individual and to a community, the better for both. And a community which cannot bear and cannot survive such a crisis, which insists on keeping its illusion when it should be shattered, permanently loses in that moment the promise of Christian community. In other words... Pain, sin, unmet expectations, letdowns, frustrations, if we can, by God's grace, meet those things with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, and sacrificial love, well, man, that would be something. And that would change the way we function as a people. What that doesn't mean, and this is super important, it doesn't mean that we, we, that we wink at those sinful behaviors that, was ju- that were just talked about in those previous verses. What Paul is describing are things that characterize us, right? That's what those first two lists are. Are we a people or are we individuals who are characterized by those things? And so this is not like if you fumble the ball here and there, because maybe you, you did lust after someone, or maybe you did um, speak a harsh word to somebody, but you immediately recognize that and you are asking God for forgiveness. Like, that's not the stuff Paul is, is so angered about. He's so angered about the things that, that, that if those things mark a community of faith. You see the difference? Right, there's a difference between sin and sinful patterns. There's a difference between, between like, making a mistake and that's how I operate, And that's what Paul is is trying to to argue here. You cannot be a community that operates this way. You cannot be a community that operates this way. And so the point I'm trying to make is that when we talk about cultivating deeply formed community here at Redeemer Fellowship, we're talking about being a people, both individually and corporately, who are characterized by spirit-formed love for our brothers and sisters where we do the hard work of bearing with one another in love. It doesn't mean that we're all going to be best friends and hang out every night. Right? That's not what it means. If that is truly what you're looking for, that is not what Christian community is. In fact, it can't, it really can't be because most of us don't have time for that. That'd be great, right? But again, that's that, that's that college dorm room mentality, right? Right? That's that life where like, yeah, you did have that if you had that experience. Or like in your like, you know, younger years where you had like a group of friends, you were always together. But as you grow and mature in your faith and you have life and responsibilities, you can't just hang out all the time. As much as I love to hang. I love to hang. But you literally can't do it all the time. Debbie knows because we hang. I come to work and sometimes we hang for too long. We just chat. But it does mean that when we need one another, we show up. We weep with one another. We celebrate with one another. We forgive one another because we have been forgiven by Christ. That's the the ideal, right? That's the good stuff. That's the good stuff. When people can can say about their community that I know when I need them, they're there. That if I pick up the phone, so-and-so is going to come and help. That they're not going to hem and haw like, oh, well, I got, you know, this, that. It's like, no, they're going to be like, yeah, I got you. Right? Because for some of us who have grown up in, in good families, that's what family is. Right? That no matter what, when you pick up the phone, they're like, I got you. That's what I'm praying that we become here at Redeemer Fellowship. Which, truth be told, right, like this isn't a sermon that is chastising our community. Because I actually believe that this stuff is happening here at Redeemer Fellowship that we are actually cultivating a deeply formed community, which is why it is one of our values, our core values. Because as I looked at our church and I was wrestling, like what are the things that we value? We value this. And, and you know what's so beautiful? We value this and so do the scriptures, right? It's not like our values don't fall in line with what the scriptures teach. In fact, they're a part of what Jesus describes as the greatest commandment, love God, love neighbor. And so we value cultivating a deeply formed community, and it's happening in our midst all the time. And many of you have been on the receiving end of that deeply formed community when you were walking through it and going through tough times, and God met you through the hands and feet of your brothers and sisters here at Redeemer Fellowship. And that's good. That's so good, and I'm so grateful for that and my prayer is that we would keep that up and, and that we would, we would point to it so that we don't lose track, right? So that we don't forget who we are. Because truth be told, our church is starting to grow a little bit. I don't know if you've noticed. Like, we're a different church today than we were two, three years ago. And that's wonderful and that's exciting and that's something we should praise God for. But as we grow, the temptation will be to neglect these things, the temptation will be to care about the product we're putting forth on a Sunday morning. And, and, and may that never be. Like, may that never be. Because that is not what a healthy church looks like. Butts in the seat are not what a healthy church looks like. It's just not. It's the stuff we've been wrestling through for the past few weeks. It's being a place where we are centered on the gospel. It's being a place where we are cultivating a life with God. It's being a place where we are cultivating deeply formed community with one another. Why? Because we're seeking to be a people who share together in the life of Christ by loving God and loving neighbor. And when we're doing that stuff, whether we're 15 people or 200 people, that is where the health is going to birth from. That's where the fruit is going to be, to be born from, bared from, I don't, whatever. Um, you know what I'm trying to say, English majors, right? That's what we're getting at. That's what we're fighting for. And I say fight for a reason because like if we're not intentional about these things, then they will go by the wayside. If all we care about is the product on Sunday mornings, then we're not going to be these people. We're going to lose it. We're going to miss it. And so we got to fight to cultivate it, to maintain it, to pursue that, to warn one another when maybe we're, we're wandering off track. There's more here, right? Check it out. Verse 15. It says this, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. The text says to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. It then identifies the peace as the thing to which we were called in one body. And so this, coupled with the words of verse 14 about love, binding everything together in perfect harmony, is Paul once again banging the drum of unity that all that matters is Christ, and that because of that reality, there really is neither Jew nor Greek, slave, free, barbarian, Scythian, male, female, black, white, Republican, Democrat, American, European, rich, poor, or whatever other man-made barrier we could think of. Like fill in the blank. And how do we cultivate this? How do we cultivate this deeply formed community together? Well, it tells us. It says in verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. How do we do it? By letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. We actually allow the words of this book, the promises of this book, to matter more than our own heartfelt desires. And check this out, what happens when we allow the truth of this book to matter more than the desires of our heart, guess what starts to happen? The desires of our heart start to change, and, and we start participating in the realm of the new man. I mean, that's, that's unbelievable, right? And, and, and the question we have to wrestle with, are we willing to receive instruction or warning from this book or from the truth of this book from anybody in the, in, the, in, in the church as long as it lines up with the gospel. right? are we willing to receive that? Are we willing to receive a rebuke when needed, a challenge when needed? Even if it comes from somebody that may be like, you're like, well, I actually know more than them about the Bible. But guess what? Biblical knowledge doesn't equal maturity. But humility does. And so are we willing to receive from one another? Right? You have a word for me? I want to hear it. You have a challenge for me? A rebuke for me? I want to hear it. I want to know where I'm fumbling the ball. And all of us have to cultivate that humility that we want to know where we're fumbling the ball. That we can receive from one another in humility. Because man, when that starts happening, right? Paul's vision starts to crystallize and become this beautiful thing. That's what we're hoping for here. We also cultivate deeply formed community by worshiping alongside one another, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, even if the music is in a style we might not prefer. And when we don't prefer it, we're still called to do it with thankfulness in our hearts to God. Why? Because why wouldn't we be thankful that God is being praised, even if we don't like the song? Right. Notice it doesn't say with judgment in our hearts. And I think for most of us, myself included, we sometimes walk into the community of faith with judgment in our hearts rather than postures of gratitude and thanksgiving. And man, we gotta put that stuff to death, right? Because that comes from the first two lists or the se- maybe the second list, right? If we walk around with judgment in our hearts, man, we're, we're borrowing from the kingdoms of this world now. We're operating in that list of vices, the, those sins of speech. And so finally, then, everything we do as individuals, and together as a church, we do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Right? In the name of Jesus. We talked about this when we went through the Ten Commandments, that we must not take the name of the Lord our God in vain. And we talked about how what that means is not so much just slipping and and using God as a curse word, but rather how it means to live in such a way where we are reflecting to the world around us an accurate representation of who God is. It's similar to when we pray, Hallowed be thy name. We can't make God's name any more holy than it is. But we can live in a way that makes his name appear less holy, and, and key word, appear less holy, And we do that when we're borrowing from the playbook of those two lists of vices, rather than the stuff we're called to put on. All that to say, Redeemer Fellowship, as we live our lives together as a local community of faith, the question we need to be asking ourselves is, what story are we telling? What story are we telling? That's really the point. We're a church seeking to share together In the life of Christ by loving God and loving neighbor we do that by being gospel-centered and by cultivating a life with God and deeply formed community and as we do that we will continue to become a place where bruised reeds and smoldering wicks are not only not snuffed out but they're bound up and fanned into flames and that's my hope for us as a church, that we, we really would be a place where the story of God's redemption is seen in every single thing we do. Right? We are called Redeemer Fellowship, which means if we're not telling the story of redemption and the one who has redeemed, then we are, we are operating in vain, right? That has to be what marks us that has to be what characterizes us. It doesn't mean we're perfect. I can't stress that enough. It does not mean we're perfect. I guarantee you that you will be hurt here, that you will be let down here. That is a promise, that is a promise. But I pray that we would be humble enough to admit when we've done the hurting and the letting down And that's something I pray for all of us, especially our leadership, and especially for myself. Imagine. Imagine if we became a community where we put away all those things from verses 5 through 9 and put on the things from verses 12 through 15. What could a community marked by the story of Jesus, by the Redeemer, accomplish here in Tom's River? Imagine. And that's our hope. That's what we're pursuing. That's what we care deeply about. That's what matters to us. That's what makes our hearts beat. And I think it's a story worth fighting for. And I think it's a story worth cultivating here at Redeemer Fellowship. And I'm excited that God is already doing those things in our midst. That we are a people at least as I have seen so far, who are willing to admit when we drop the ball. And I, I believe that about, about our elders. They are an incredible group of men who truly do want to honor God and care well for the people of this church. And, and the way our elder meetings work is like we do forgive one another and we've had stuff. Like I don't want to sit here and pretend. It's not like we get together every time we're, and, and we are just like singing kumbaya all the time. Like, we disagree. But we love one another. We forgive one another. We bear with one another. And that's hard. That's hard work. For those of you who have been in any sort of relationship for any length of time, whether it's a marriage, a family relationship, or even just a good friend, you've had to bear with one another if you're still lasting. If you're still marching along and fighting the good fight, then you've had to practice this stuff. Right? We did the vow renewal last week for, for Ginny and Glenn, and the one thing I shared with them is that the thing that marks their 40 years of marriage is not so much that moment that we spent together last week, although it did, but the countless times day in and day out that they had to forgive one another, that they had to walk with one another and, and carry one another's burdens, and that if they weren't doing those things, we wouldn't have been standing there. That's the reality, right? And there's something so beautiful about that. And that's also why marriage is a picture of the church and Christ. And that's also why if you look a little bit further down in the passage, you have the the wives and husbands verse, you have the the slaves and, and masters verses, you have the children and parents verses. Because what Paul is doing is he's saying, I just explained to you how Christian community ought to work Let me show you with a couple of examples that you're familiar with in the relationships that you have already. That's really what's going on there. The household codes, they're meant to teach us something about the body of Christ because the body of Christ is referred to as a household, like we are a family of God. So that's what we're pursuing. That's what we care about. I'm way off script now. I'm already like down in the weeds far and, you know, by the swamp area at this point. But the point is, is that's the stuff that matters. That's what I believe Paul is really digging at in these passages when he's talking about it. Not so much trying to, trying to beat us to death because maybe we stumbled into this sin here, stumbled into this sin, but saying, do not be marked by the old age, be marked by the new age. And if that is the case, you are going to bear fruit. And people will catch a glimpse of what God is like. That's good news, Redeemer Fellowship. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I really do pray that we would continue in this. That these things that we've been wrestling with over the last few weeks would be the very things that mark us as a people. Father, that we would remember these things. Lord, that they would show up in our community groups, that they would show up in discipleship courses at Redeemer Youth and Redeemer Kids with our women, with our men, that these are the conversations we'd be having, that these are the things we'd be challenging each other with because, Lord, these core values you gave to us, this mission you gave to us, Father, it's straight from your Bible, Lord God. It's straight from the truth of your word. We're not trying to do anything new or novel here. We're just trying to honor you. Father, we love you with all of our hearts. We thank you for your grace. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.